Are you familiar with the ocean liner metaphor? It was perhaps most famously used by former President Obama in The New Yorker in 2016 to describe how big democratic societies work. But it also applies to any large organization that's trying to undertake dramatic change. It suggests the bigger the ship, the slower it turns. But don't tell that to this guy. Simultaneously, we embarked upon an effort to replace our ERP and re-engineer all the processes that it supports. At the same time, we implemented a new point of sale, replatformed our e-commerce environment, stood up a new third-party logistics provider, implemented a new supply chain planning solution, and changed our fiscal year. That was John Hill, the Chief Digital and Information Officer at Carhartt, a 132-year-old clothing company that's recently undergone a radical transformation. They were able to accomplish everything John just described in an incredibly short time frame. All of that except the point of sale and the supply uh, planning solution went live in a two-month period this summer. That's a huge turn by a massive ship. And it turns out that Pivot could well serve as a blueprint, or at the very least, an inspiration for other organizations that are pursuing a similar path. Welcome to Future Enterprise, a podcast series proudly presented by the thought leaders at IDC. I'm your host, Joe Cucciarelli, Group Vice President and IT Executive Advisor. On this episode, we're going to tackle a topic that enables companies to deliver services and experiences more quickly and more reliably than ever, the future of digital infrastructure. The IT industry has seen massive changes since its inception during the middle of the 20th century. While it used to be all about hardware, software, and data processing, things are changing quickly. Now we focus on digitizing an organization's products and services, with more than half expected to be digital or digitally delivered by the end of next year. But unless your business is brand new, odds are it's already made a massive investment in traditional infrastructure, which means you have to evolve, and fast. Here at IDC, we like to think of the shift to digital as a bit like the transition from cold-blooded to warm-blooded animals in Earth's evolutionary history. While amphibians and reptiles were highly successful and remain important today, the advent of birds and mammals dramatically altered our biosphere. One of the people at IDC who's leading the charge to help enterprises evolve and adapt is our Group Vice President of Worldwide Research, Rick Villers. And it's my pleasure now to welcome him to the podcast. Rick, thanks for being here. Thanks, Joe, for having me. This is going to be a great conversation. Rick, I want to get back to the Carhartt story as quickly as possible. But first, maybe you can set the stage for our conversation by explaining the key concepts and terms we're going to be focusing on. In a nutshell, how would you describe digital infrastructure and what the future of digital infrastructure holds for us all? Yeah, it's, it's an important part of the conversation that we're having today. When we've talked about digital infrastructure, and, and you, you set it up well, the idea of innovation is such a core part of being a successful business today. And digital infrastructure in our minds is having an approach that allows you to always be able to take advantage of the most innovative new technologies as quickly as possible and incorporate it into your business. There are three elements that are really part of digital infrastructure. First is, well, let's acknowledge it front, it is cloud-centric. Uh, it's not all cloud, but cloud is the foundation on which you build and deliver these services. The second big part of it, though, is it's about ubiquitous deployment. I can deploy this new technology, this new capability in many different locations and also in many different payment and cost models that align with 
different business requirements or different geographic requirements. And then the last part of digital infrastructure is increasingly these are autonomic systems. Like you talked about, you know, the shift from cold-blooded to warm-blooded was really about moving to an autonomic way of regulating bodily functions. The same thing's going to be true with digital infrastructures. More and more, that infrastructure is self-regulating, self-managing. Your job is to set the policies and the governance to make sure that it's, it's a healthy organism that's helping you run your business. Perfect. Thanks, Rick. Now, without further ado, I'd like to formally introduce the man we heard from briefly at the beginning of the episode. John Hill is the Chief Digital and Information Officer at Carhartt. It's a beloved American apparel company founded in 1889 that started out with two sewing machines and five workers. Today, it employs more than 5,000 people with operations around the globe. John, welcome to Future Enterprise. Thanks, Joe. It's my pleasure to be here today. John, I mentioned President Obama off the top, but he's just one of the many famous folks who've been spotted sporting Carhartt clothing. Your products have also been worn by Liam Neeson, Jessica Chastain, Matthew McConaughey, and Sarah Palin, among others. How did your company get to that point? Please share your origin story with us. Well, I think first and foremost, important to remember our mission, which is to serve and protect hardworking folks. And I think that authenticity is what is resonating in today's uh, marketplace. Consumers are, are looking for that authentic brand. And so while we're thrilled that you know, celebrities, sports uh, personalities enjoy wearing Carhartt, that's not who we necessarily target. They're, they're somebody who loves the brand and we love to have them wearing it. So John, I'd like to get back to the transformation at Carhartt that you mentioned at the start. It's an incredible, audacious accomplishment, but I imagine it also presented challenges. Can you tell us about those moments of elation as major milestones were achieved and about some of the deep chasms you encountered? Sure. I think uh, if I could start with the positives, you know, I like to say to people, can you take an order? Can you ship an order? Can you invoice an order? Yes, we could do all those things. So uh, there are plenty of stories out there of, of folks who've done ERP transformations that don't deliver that. Uh, so, you know, I think we'll start there. So, you know, we've got a really happy with the team being able to do a, just a tremendous amount of work in parallel and try to keep that together. Some of the things that I think that we've learned from, uh, you know, if we could go back in time, we would try to do differently. It's always that, that question of what's that last thing that puts you over the edge as you take on projects? There's always that one last thing that's, that just does you in. And for us, it was the decision to add another third-party logistics uh, provider. It just added a, a level of complexity that probably swamped you know, the other projects. And we probably should have insisted on a lot bigger of a team. Uh, you know, we're a scrappy organization. It's kind of in our DNA. And, you know, we wanted to try to do the, the best we could to keep all of that on board. With the growth that we've we've had, it was, it was critical to the business to get that open. So that's probably number one. Second, we made a decision on a platform that was a little bit more bleeding edge than we typically embrace. We're, we, I like to say we're not a fast follower, we're probably a, somewhere between slow and, and a medium follower from a technology standpoint. You know, see that it's out there. You know, we picked a, an architecture and, and I'm 100% certain it's the right architecture for the future in terms of cloud native and you know, responsive. 
but it was very difficult for us to troubleshoot when some problems were occurring because they, the provider, you know, the solution provider didn't have as much experience either. Uh, and I think that just led to a longer period of, of getting out of hypercare. The uh, next one that I'd say is our testing uh, approach and, and related to environments. You know, going fast when you stand up in cloud, you know, we stood up both of these in uh, cloud environments, you know, the ERP, e-commerce, those were our first transactional systems in the cloud. And, you know, what come to find out this, those environments weren't exactly the same in terms of that kind of pre-production, production, production uh, world. And that caused us some things where they said, hey, we, we didn't see this in testing and we sure as heck saw it in uh, production. So, you know, some lessons learned there of, once again, you know, spend the extra money and make sure that those environments are in sync. You know, there's a lot of people that talk about their implementation and say, oh, it's all perfect. I don't think it's true ever. Uh, and for us, it's let's embrace those, those challenges. We'll learn from them and, you know, we'll get better uh, on the next go around. You know, it's not lost on me, John, that uh, you cited three examples. And the first one was not a technical constraint, but it was a decision that you made together with your colleagues in the leadership team as part of what the core business configuration looked like. You know, it's one thing to know what needs to be done, but it can be entirely another to get everyone else in your organization pointed in that same direction. How did you get the leadership team at Carhartt to embrace this very broad technology transformation? Yeah, you know, go, going back a couple of years ago, because the, the journey actually started, you know, two and a half years ago, as an executive team, we sat around and said, what do we need to do in order to set us up for the future? And we sat down and said, we needed a couple of characteristics. And that was to be able to have uh, an agile uh, infrastructure and be able to execute with speed. Our legacy system was not set up to do that. It was an ERP with 2000 plus customizations in it. Anytime we wanted to do something that involved significant regression testing, and we certainly didn't have those characteristics. Interestingly, we had spent a lot of time with the various leaders in the organization explaining those limitations and why we were at. So when the time came for us to pose this transformation of not only upgrade and replace our ERP, but also re-engineer our business processes, you know, there, I had business uh, colleagues saying, yes, we need to do that. We need to adopt standard. I didn't have to force it on anybody. We made a decision to go end to end with a partner, you know, with point of sale, ERP, e-commerce platform. Same thing. We, we all stood and said, we may accept a little bit less in terms of functionality on something. But at the end of the day, it was going to be more important to have an end-to-end omni-channel experience and be able to grow with a partner and know that we don't have to try to pull that together. So, you know, I'd love to say that it was just one moment in time, but it really represented a whole legacy of time. One of my kind of favorite sayings is, you know, innovation is built on the perspiration of the past. So it's all of that experience, which is what, you know, led to that. And so when we got to a point, though, that we, we had an outline of what we wanted to do, which was replace the ERP and the e-commerce, what came up, though, is two other late ads. And one was to change the fiscal year, which for those that know that that in itself is an enormous undertaking. And then when we saw that our ability to get product out the door was basically going to be outstripped 
in this year, we said we had to add another partner, another distribution partner. So, you know, we all agreed, yes, this is going to be a risk, but it was the best interest of Carhartt to go ahead and, and deal with the good and the bad in order to set ourselves up for uh, the future. Rick, if you were dealing with a leadership team that, you know, maybe wasn't quite as enthusiastic or had invested as much perspiration in the past, what would you tell them? Um, there would be three parts to the to the conversation. So first, we, we tell them to think back and, and think about the risk that they face as a business from not having the modern infrastructure and not always being up to date on those underlying facilities, the security risk, the resi- resiliency risk, the other things that go along with that. And because we've we've seen this in many cases where it's this inability to deal with always having the latest or using the latest and most effective technologies everywhere that opens up a lot of exposure. The second thing that we go is, is it can't just be about that. It has to also be about recognizing that there are critical new business initiatives that they need to get done and really highlighting that by moving to a digital infrastructure model and, and, and adopting all the practices that come with that, that you open up your ability to do, to actually consciously say, we can expand geographically in three months, or we can bring in a new distribution partner or model in three months because we can focus on those business process connection issues as opposed to trying to figure out what the underlying system has to be and how we're going to manage the upgrades and the patches and everything else that have to come along with trying to get the old infrastructure up to do that. So so I I think that's the second one. And then the last one I, I think is we highlight that part of the value of digital infrastructure as well is as you move to that model and you have your partners move to that model, then it's a lot easier for you to actually connect together. So that that merger you did in the past is is part of the probably made, made it hard was their infrastructure and your infrastructure were on different sync cycles and other pieces. That's something that this gives you that business and partner agility, which is so important in this digital world. Rick, John, I know you both have lots more to say, but I'd like to take a brief break. When we return, we'll discuss how a three to five year upgrade cycle just won't cut it anymore. Uh, That's a clothes-making pun, but I guess it's funnier when you explain it. I'm Joe Pucciarelli, and you're listening to Future Enterprise, a forward-thinking podcast series proudly presented by the thought leaders at IDC. It's about helping your organization succeed by arming you with insights about how data and technology are rapidly reshaping the workplace, applied intelligence, and software. Don't forget to follow or like wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on Twitter and LinkedIn. Just search for IDC. Today, I'm talking about the future of digital infrastructure with John Hill, the Chief Digital and Information Officer at Carhartt Clothing, and my colleague, Rick Villers from IDC. But before we dive back into our discussion, I'd like to take a little trip to Irvine, Kentucky, to hear how Carhartt's digital transformation is playing out on the front lines. Hello, my name is William Hardy. I'm the Senior Vice President for Supply Chain at Carhartt. Our digital journey has been focused in how we can enhance the quality of our products. We're able to compile and evaluate data in order to understand the concerns and the wants and needs of our consumers. We can take consumer return information and trace it 
back to where we manufactured, when the product was manufactured, and understand the concerns or any issues that we had with that product. It's one exciting way we can continue to digitalize our supply chain and also ensure that we're connected directly to the consumer. We're excited about where our digital journey will go next. Data has been called the new oil, not just because it's valuable, but because it must be processed properly, refined, in order to be truly useful. John, did the data yield any surprises or perhaps counterintuitive results once you really dug into it? You know, we've got a hub and spoke approach where my team takes care of the data engineering, the algorithms, so data scientists building all those algorithms so that we have one source of the truth and we have analysts out in the business that are all using that one source of the truth. And we're not left with trying to piece together what might be really happening out there. So if I was to say one good example of data that uh, has provided unique insights uh, has to do with a a project we had to put in uh, some AI and ML on top of data that's coming from all of our direct-to-consumer business, but also what's going on from a point-of-sale perspective with partners. We're able to use that data to help identify where we should open stores next and be able to help our partners to better uh, assort what should go into stores at uh, a zip code level. It's so much so that the D2C team decided to no longer use a firm to identify markets to go to. We use a firm now just to do the real estate selection, but not market identification. So I think it was interesting that you take you know, that set of data and you know, the team saying, hey, I think we can predict you know, where the consumers are, what they're interested in, and better pinpoint based on that and what's going on with wholesale partners, where we should be, and then also help our wholesale partners better build an assortment for that particular marketplace as well. In the old days, and by that, you could probably go back as recently as to just before the pandemic, most companies historically worked on a three to five year upgrade cycle. Rick, maybe I can start with you. How has that changed? Yeah, that's that's one of the biggest changes that we saw that, that originally happened in, in the public cloud conversation that, that dominated a lot of the 2010s. But what's happening with digital infrastructure now is, is the idea that this ability to be able to take advantage of these new technologies anywhere in, in, in many different use cases is, is a new part of, of the story here. From our standpoint, the example that John just gave about that data it can highlight some of what's happening here is that there were a lot of complex elements here. There was a lot of places where the data came from. And in the past, what you would have had was some kind of project, maybe targeting a region or a specific subset or whatever, and, and a system that was built to do that. And it was tuned for a very specific assumption about how you used algorithms or how you used data sources and whatever. And then once you had that, you were kind of stuck with that as your model for the next five years. And any thoughts about expanding, let's go, let's go nationwide or let's let's use it across all our stores or all our data sets would be, you know, we got to wait till the next upgrade cycle. We don't have the capacity, we don't have the data connections, we don't have the resiliency to make it work. Now is as we've seen, and you know, when you think about digital resiliency and digital infrastructure, you do now have that confidence that. When I want to try one of these new things and I can maybe start it in pilot, 
that I can quickly scale that environment, but I can also quickly evolve it as new processors or new algorithm methods or even new data sets come in. And I don't have to basically wait till the existing system dies before I can go do innovation. Wait for it to be fully depreciated. Yes. John, what's your take on this constant iteration versus the old upgrade cycle, this instantiation of agility? Well, it's it's interesting because, you know, when I joined Carhartt nearly six years ago, you know, we were that epitome of a traditional data center uh, organization running an I-series, all the, the uh, systems of record all running on I-series. And, you know, I still remember me coming in saying, hey, we're going to the cloud. And you would have thought I was speaking some foreign language that nobody had heard of. And I think people said, yeah, that's sometime way in the future. When we decided this last part of our transformation here, and we decided we were going to deploy into the cloud, you know, I think that that experience has been what's really transformed the infrastructure team, that experience of going through this, because there is no way we would have stayed on schedule for the ERP if we hadn't been in the cloud. Because as you get in a project and people know, oftentimes you'll, you'll end up and saying, hey, I need another environment or I need some other space for a dev environment. So as part of the, the transformation, you know, well, I think what we realized that the cloud itself made it possible to deliver. And it really helped the infrastructure team understand the power of a cloud native infrastructure. You know, as we're going through the ERP uh, upgrade, you know, the dev teams needed more environments, and there's no way we would have delivered that in a traditional uh, environment. The, the, the lead time on infrastructure would have meant that there would have been delays in the project. It would have cost us, you know, potentially millions of dollars and potentially missed a window. If you're in the retail world, you have a short window in which to deploy these types of things. If you miss that window, you could cost yourself six months before you get through a busy time and get back to it. So having that cloud infrastructure allowed us to stand up environments very quickly and then get through those development cycles and then turn them back off later on. And that exercise then really spurred the organization to say, let's move the rest of our infrastructure much faster to the cloud, as opposed to, we had a, we had a, a timeline that would have taken a couple of years uh, earlier this year, we decided, nope, we're going to go very fast. We're going to move the rest of this leftover infrastructure, with the exception of that uh, vaunted I-series, which still has something on it. Uh, that's going to take me a little bit longer to, to uh, move. But otherwise, we are going to be 100% in the cloud except for that. And at the same time, we decided to implement SD-WAN and move our voice over to the cloud as well. So we moved the contact center into the cloud to be ready for the holiday season and moving all the rest of our associates right now. Those decisions were made, I think, frankly, empowered by the experience of the transformation itself with the two big platform moves. John, I want to shift gears a little and look further into the future. What's next on your to-do list? I think if we look at our future, we have a number of things that we need to take care of in the near term. And a lot of those are on omni-channel. You know, we just replatformed our e-commerce platform. As such, we held off on some pieces of omni-channel till we got that in place. 
So we're right now building those, getting ready to deploy those. It was more of a change management effort of let's deploy uh, e-commerce, base e-commerce first, and then add the omni-channel in fast follow. So that's number one. I think in the store itself, we'll see some opportunities to put more digital in the stores, whether that's displays, whether that's being able to better understand the consumer that's in the store at a particular time. Those are the types of things we're looking at there. And then lastly, how do we give uh, better information to the consumer about the product itself? So we're going to look at a digital ID. That's the idea that each product has its own digital ID. It will let the consumer understand not just the marketing information about the product, but where it was made. What are the materials that go into that garment? So that whole sustainability story helping the folks that want to reuse product later on understand how to properly do so. Or lastly, recycle. How do you properly recycle? So we see that digital ID, of course, in our own stores, our own online, and then our wholesale partners as well, being able to take advantage of that. Rick, any thoughts on the technology that underpins the vision that John just laid out for Carhartt? One of the things that John highlighted was this idea of in the store. And this is one thing we we highlight with digital infrastructure is it's not just the data center or it's not even just the cloud data center. It is about bringing these innovative new technologies and employees into a store or a hospital or a factory. And you do need local resources and, and facilities to get the real-time response and the availability that makes it happen. But you can't sacrifice that agility that you've brought from the cloud store. So that's one of the big technology things that we see is, is the, we call it the expansion of the cloud out into the edge of the business, but in a way that you still get that scale. You, we kind of call it the hybrid cloud build out in a, in a very positive sense, because it's like, I get my cloud experience, I get the cloud capabilities, but I can put assets out near where they're useful without introducing a lot of operational cost or a lot of business risk or other things with it. That's one big change that's very much part of the digital infrastructure story. The second part is, as you talked about, is you know this idea of in, enhancing the customer experience and tying it to the product lifecycle. You need to be able to kind of track the movement of that product physically and virtually over time. A lot of what digital infrastructure is about is also about data. It's about having a standardized mechanism so that as data flows across the world, frankly, you can retrieve it, you can leverage it, you can protect it, and then ultimately you can use it to, again, provide a better customer experience or an employee experience, depending on the job you're in. Those are, those are things where connectivity, the linkage of digital infrastructure and modern networks, 5G networks and so forth, are the next big stage that we're going to see in this story. Unfortunately, gentlemen, we're almost out of time. But before we get to my favorite part of the podcast, is there anything else you'd like to share? Uh, sure. I think it's interesting. We talk a lot about digital uh, and the cloud, and it's worthwhile to note the amount of investment that's needed just in physical to make that work. You know, we're running fiber to every building in our global landscape. We are in locations that doesn't have that type of environment. You know, we're in Kentucky, rural Kentucky, rural Tennessee, places in Mexico that did not have that kind of environment. But if you're going to be cloud, 100% cloud and digitally native like that, you have to have the infrastructure. And, you know, that's been a significant push for us as well is to build that out. 
so that the people at those supply chain locations have the same experience as the folks at the corporate office as well. Thank you, John. Well, I hope Carhartt Clothing has some electrical insulating properties because it's time for the lightning round. That's right. As regular listeners of this podcast will know, I like to end every episode by giving my guests an opportunity to summarize their thoughts on today's topic. And because everyone performs better under pressure, I'm only going to give you 30 seconds each to do it. Rick, you lost the coin toss, so you're up first. What's the main point you'd like folks to take away from our discussion today? For me, the the whole thing comes back to this idea of innovation, that our, as, as companies now, this ability to say, how can I do something new with digital to make the outcome better for my people, my employees, my customers, is the number one driving force. And digital infrastructure is the foundation for making that digital first a reality for organizations because it gives you the confidence that you can innovate at scale. Okay, John, now it's your turn. If there was a top three list that you would put into the hands of every CIO on the planet about their digital infrastructure priorities, what would it include? I think number one is a clear vision as to what you want from a capability standpoint. What am I trying to create? Number two, clear alignment within your team about what that is. And number three, a roadmap to get there very quickly. And what you'll notice is I didn't mention any technology because those are the three things that are going to be the keys to being able to deliver it. I have to tell you, John, through this whole discussion we've had and as we've gotten to know Carhartt through you, it's striking the degree of communication and teamwork and visioning that your leadership team has undertaken through this process. You know, we as an organization uh, focus on that shared accountability, even goals as a company. You got one shared goal, all the strategic projects, even if you're the head of logistics, you have the the strategic projects. That's part of your bonus. That I think is a really important thing because as a leadership team, it's almost as important about what you're not going to do as what you're going to do. And have everybody lined up on that is so important. And I think, you know, we've done a good job of doing that. Well, gentlemen, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you both. John, Rick, thanks so much for being part of the podcast. Thanks, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thanks, Joe. It's always a pleasure working with you on these. My guests have been Rick Villers, Group Vice President, Worldwide Research here at IDC, and John Hill, the Chief Digital and Information Officer at Carhartt. I'm Joe Pucciarelli, and this is Future Enterprise, brought to you by IDC. Well, folks, that's the wrap on season one. Thanks so much for joining us. And if you haven't heard our previous episodes, I'd really urge you to give them a listen wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow IDC on Twitter and LinkedIn, and we're always adding new research at IDC.com. Until next time.